You're welcome to the second season of the Niger Filmmaker, a podcast for us to talk about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Seller Guts. On this episode, my guest is Emmanuel Okolo. He's a filmmaker, visual consultant, and photographer. He runs The Wedding Doctors, a hub for vendors and clients in the wedding industry. We talk about The Wedding Doctors brand, his early days in film, and how we can compete on the global stage. Hi, Emmanuel. You're welcome to the Niger Filmmaker. Thank you very much, Mr. Celebaba. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, can you introduce yourself? All right, my name is Emmanuel Okolo. Uh, I'm the CEO of Papillo Mixer Film Studios and the convener of the Wedding Doctors platform. So, yeah, can you tell us about your journey to filmmaking? Okay. Um, my journey to filmmaking, the thing file long, but I'll just keep it um, as brief as I can. Yeah, so first, I think a uh, few people know this, but I think I've said this before. I'm an ex-seminarian. Ex-seminarian meaning I'm actually meant to be a priest. Yeah. Well, you know, this thing is a calling. If you are not called by God to walk in this vineyard, uh, it means he has something better for you. Yeah, so, um, based on that, from the seminary, I went into Madonna University where I studied my, I think I was uh, studying electrical electronics engineering, Yeah. where um, I think I was dead in my final year <laughs> before <laughs> I ran away. So running away was um, what gave birth to me leaving Nigeria for London, for the UK. Why did you run away? Um, I realized the first day I connected wire in my final year. I think my dad asked me to change the face of the house. And um, I attempted to do it knowing too well that I'm an electrical electronics um, student, engineering student. Yeah. I realized that uh, <clears throat> by the time I connected it and came back upstairs, everybody in the house were just staring at me. And I didn't realize what had gone wrong until I perceived a lot of smoke, burnt appliances. And so my dad goes, Emeka, organic is go. Now translate it. What is it that you said you were, uh, oh, sorry, directly? Emeka, <laughs> what exactly are you studying in Madonna? Yeah. And I go, Daddy Electrical Electronics. He said, okay, fine. I'll give you a list of the electronics you've blown now based on this connection. So I think it was then it dawned on me that I wasn't really... Yes, I was. I passed through the school, but I didn't let the school pass through me. Yeah. So uh, that's what gave birth to me doing a proper evaluation of my status. And I'm like, okay, you know what? You got to go. So and I think and there was an event that happened then. I think... <laughs> I think I, there was an incident that happened that night and I was detained in the prison, in the cell for two weeks, wow. Madonna. And uh, well, well, to long cost long story short, I escaped. 
And when I escaped, <laughs> I was like, go ye. I said, I would rather escape out of this country. If I've yeah. succeeded in escaping from Madura University, I might as well escape from Nigeria. Yeah. So that's what actually led uh, me to leaving the country. Um, then I started all over again from um, the University of Glamorgan. Mm -hmm. um, so I started all over again for my foundation degree. So I started with um, computer systems engineering. Then for my first year, um, information technology. And I gradually began to refine my path. Yeah. yeah, combined, went into the combined studies department where I had information technology. I was studying information technology and media studies. Then took a year off, went into London Film Academy, came back, jumped into my master's in moving image. I think simply put, that's what my journey has been so far. Okay. So for lack of better word, you could call me an academic prostitute. <laughs> so yeah, like... um. Yeah, we have the same alma mater, London Film Academy. Yes, So, um, fortunately. What, what yeah. did you, which year did you um, attend the academy? I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was 2009. Yeah, how was, how was, like, what did you, um, what course did you do there and how was it? I studied do uh, documentary filmmaking, actually. Documentary filmmaking was what I studied. Uh, I did a couple of courses there too as well after the documentary filmmaking course. And uh, to be honest, it was an amazing experience because that was the first time I was diving deep into the technicalities of creating stories. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it opened doors, to be honest. It opened my imagination into creating these whole stories and things we watch on um, um, on the social media space and Sky TV then, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, like the likes of Harry Potter. I really wanted to be that storyteller that the world would reckon with. And um, London Film Academy gave me that opportunity to explore. And after that, I went to went back to London. I mean, University of South Wales now. Then yeah. it was University of Glamorgan. And um, it's history. The remaining is history. Okay, so, um, you know, we're talking before this and um, you mentioned that you guys shot on film mm -hmm. and also edited using the traditional Steambark uh, machine. Steambark, yeah, machine, yeah. Yeah. How was that? Like, how <laughs> different? Absolutely different. In fact, when we, <laughs> when I saw the machine first, I was looking at this and I was like, was this really what I paid for to work? I, 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 I said I wanted to study film. Yeah. Not mechanical engineering. Because this machine you are showing me now is mechanical. You know, so we shot on Super 16. Then I think my first film, two films I think I remember was The Clown. Yeah. That was um, a supposed, um, I think, supposed to be a comedy trailer and stuff. And when we shot it on film, we taught how to at least load the film and all that stuff that it did with the yeah. Stanbrook. And that was when it dawned on me that our forefathers who were in this field actually were supernaturals. As in, for them to come up with those exceptional classic films, yeah. knowing too well that this was their editing equipment, gave me a sense of deep reasoning when it comes to the art of visual storytelling. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fine. If they had this, to put this together, and we just have the digital laptops and uh, Avid. In fact, I think after that, they moved us to Avid. Yeah. Avid now complicated the hell out of me. I was like, what is this yes. again? I think it's 
too complicated. Too complicated. I was like, what is this again? Okay, I say I want computer now. You put me in computer now. Now I am lost. You know, but that didn't stop me. And uh, yeah, yeah, editing a film, shooting a film and editing it was, was, an, was a fantastic experience. I loved it. I loved it. I can't trade that for anything. And I think that is what, to an extent, has influenced my style of storytelling. Yeah. Because then I pay attention to those cuts, just those cuts, and nothing more. And one frame can mess up your film. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I got to learn using those uh, techniques. Yeah, so you have to be very careful when you're telling your stories yeah. in frames. So, um, you know, the whole process of um, editing with the Steambacks, that, that meant you guys were editing in, like, dark rooms. Dark rooms, yeah. And was, like, so the editing, you basically pieced together the cuts the of frame, the film yeah. before it yeah, developed. Yeah, before it's developed, yeah. No, I think it was developed before we even pissed it, yeah, if I remember too well. So they developed the film. Okay. Yeah. So when you shoot on the film, yeah. develop the film before you paste. Okay. Yeah. And then it's loaded and projected. Yeah, yeah, loaded and projected. <laughs> like, that's true. They loaded it. <laughs> oh, God, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. God, man. Thank you, Jesus, for this progress so far. Ha. Emeka, you have done well. You know, so what did you do after LFA? So after LFA, I went back to London. Um, I went back to the University of um, Glamorgan, now University of South Wales, uh, to continue my final year. Um, but uh, fortunately, when I got back, um, I submitted um, what I had done for the year. And then automatically they said, well, with what you have on your portfolio, then it's good enough to grant you access to study your master's. Yeah. So it's up to you. You have an option on either finishing your final year or doing your master's. And I'm like, as an Igbo man, ah, spend another school fees for final invite. I said, give me the master's, my brother. Give it to me. But before they gave me that master's admission, I had to write an exam. Yeah. So um, at least for them to be sure that this guy knows what he's doing. Fortunately, I passed. Uh, I think distinctively too as well. And they were impressed. And uh, luckily, I became, I was the first black student, Nigerian student, to study moving image. And I think after our set, it was discontinued. Oh. Yeah, so that's what yeah, same, same thing for me. Like, um, studying, my undergrad was at um, University of East Anglia, and I did um, a word mix of computer science, imaging, and multimedia. Wow. And were the last people that did that course. That course, ah, <laughs> it felt so good. I was because like, it's quite, it's quite weird to find yeah. them like that, a, those combos. Yeah, yeah, very weird actually. In fact, when I met my lecturer, I think at some point, if she remembers, she, she actually, she was shocked. She was like, "Oh my God, Emmanuel, you're still here." I was like, "No, no, no, I'm, I'm just staying back, you know, after my studies and stuff." And apparently, when I wanted to. I think they had an alumni meeting, and um, I was fortunate to be amongst the students then that was uh, championing this. And um, they automatically said they don't have students who have indicated interest in the course. Um, so you can then, it dawned on me, I was like, okay, fine, Emmanuel, I think you guys were the last breed yeah. to do this. So go ye and multiply. Try to create replications of you, knowing too well that these courses don't exist anymore, but there should be a reason why this course existed in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what, like I said, gave birth to my 
journey so far? Like, did you have a graduation film? What did you work on for this master's? Yeah, I worked on two films. I worked on um, The Stranger, uh, then The Visitor's Visa. Uh, mm-hmm. Visitor's Visa was my graduate film. That was my graduate yeah. film. All right, let's start with um, The Stranger. What was the story about? So The Stranger was about a young girl, uh, Mimi, um, who had a form of mental disorder. Yeah. And um, that was as a result of the loss of her twin brother. And uh, somehow her, her status or her mindset uh, affected the whole family. So this Welsh family struggling to survive uh, the ripple effect of the loss of their son. Yeah. And somehow it had affected the girl. And, uh, you know, trying to manage this crisis within the family, the dad, with the husband, uh, decides to engage in extramarital affairs, um, hoping that will be his own form of redemption or easing of the pain. And as a result of that, he gave birth to a newborn baby, as in the lady got pregnant. Yeah. And then the story, in the course of The Stranger, when you're watching the story, it's literally about how this stranger comes in, into the picture effortlessly. As in, we meet her at the park, she met the wife at the car park, and the wife, being a nice person, welcomes her into the house because it was raining, yeah. and then asked her to wait a little while the rain stopped. And in the course of their conversation, and as the story builds, we realize that this stranger literally is no stranger. And the first person that was able to figure that out was the girl. Yeah. And the girl could figure it out because she's been eavesdropping on her dad's call at night to the girl. You know, the normal Welsh story. And um, yeah, that's basically what it is. But what I realize now is being, now I'm fast-tracking, but being the convener of the Wedding Doctors platform, yeah. It's now making sense that I've actually been a fan of family. Yeah, creating those family stories and the ripple effect, the challenges they have, how they are able to ease themselves off it. And you know, I've always been that fan. And The Stranger was my first directorial debut for me to have and say, okay, fine. I created this. Yeah. Did you take it to Festivals. Um, yeah, fortunately, the stranger screened at the cinema a couple of times. Uh, then uh, I think it was on BBC One for a couple of months. Yeah. And I think BBC One was the Queen's Channel. And then, uh, based on popular demand, they wanted it to be converted to a series. Yeah. But unfortunately, I was a student, so I wasn't entitled to work below above twenty hours, and the condition of my visa doesn't permit me to go commercial on it. So. Yeah. Um, it meant that I had to go back, reapply, you know, or wait and get an extension, which really, to be honest, as at then, I wasn't looking at settling in the UK. Yeah. I was more after catching the golden fleece and coming back to Nigeria to contribute my own little quarter to the developing economy. So I wasn't too caught up on settling there. And I'm still not caught up on settling there. I still feel... Nigeria still has its huge potentials, and there are too many fantastic stories that happen every microsecond in this country. Yeah, yeah, that I don't need to pay a scriptwriter to get. So the visitors' visa is a family drama, uh, tailored around two specific um, characters, 
uh, one of which is uh, Chica and the other girl is, uh, I think I've forgotten her name, but two characters, literally. And uh, one is a Nigerian, the other one is a Welsh um, citizen. The story, it's about how these two people, um, despite the fact that they are homeless and they live on the streets, yeah. how they are able to coexist despite their cultural background, language barrier, um, 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 belief systems, and uh, what they believe in, literally. So the story is about how this Nigerian girl who is actually homeless uh, on the street as a result of the fact that um, where she walks, there's too much pressure and there are elements of racism. I think I said when I shot it, there were high rates of racism there. Uh, I brought in those elements. So the story literally is about how these two people coexist yeah. on the streets despite their religious differences, cultural differences, language barriers, and how they come together to solve and conquer. That's what the Visitors is, uh, Visa Project was about. Okay, so was this, was this a documentary feature film? So in, something interesting about the project was this started as, this started off as, uh, because it was my final film, this was my final year film, this was what I was graded on um, with, um, for my masters. And I wanted to create something exceptional. Initially, I wanted to create the first feature film length told completely from a POV perspective. But my lecturer then said, and I quote him, that I'm being too ambitious with that. Yeah. That he thinks that um, I should do something um, better and, um, well, not better, but something different um, that would not put me or box me into serious pressure. And I understood with him. So I said, okay, fine. What could be the easiest way to present myself as that exceptional storyteller with my final grad film? So I came up with this project. And this project was deliberately designed not to have a script. So it's more of 98% improvised action and performance. Okay. And then this was all developed uh, during the workshop exercises. We had the script to break down. We didn't even have a script. It was more like a treatment. So yeah. roundtable conversations, and we're just discussing the objective of each scene. And that's how we're able to flesh up and come up with this. Special thanks to Mr. Dave, um, our guest lecturer then, and the, the producer then, Chantel. Uh, we were all students, actually, apart from Mr. Dave. Mr. Dave was also, he was doing something similar. He had an academy that was around, that was working around improvised performance yeah. for theater. Uh, so it was nice for us to bring him in, and he was the one that helped supervise my, my project, really. So wherever I got it wrong, he was able to put me together. But at the end of the day, we came up with a masterpiece, uh, knowing too well that we never had a script. We came up with a masterpiece, and this film was actually nominated in Cambridge Film Festival, um, and um, I think Dubai Film Festival, yeah, at the end of the day, um, as a student then. But like I said, my aim wasn't to settle in the, in the, in the UK. My aim was whatever I got from there, yeah. I needed to come back to Nigeria almost immediately to start off. And um, when I came back, that was another episode on this own. Okay, yeah. So before we get to um, coming back to Nigeria, you, you mentioned that the, there was no script for this um, yes. project. So like 
for example, script has dialogue, it has location, it has action. So how did you guys determine where you are going to shoot certain things? Okay. Yeah. So, so what happened was, uh, again, like I said, with the help of Dave, who have been in this business, um, well, for lack of better word, business for a while, he was able to come up with a framework of how we could tell the story. So what happens at the beginning, middle, and the end? And uh, what we had to do was, within these phases, create those scenes or create those acts at one scene, at two, at three, that could hold waters within the scenes. Mm. So that, that's what we did. We shot it completely the unconventional way. So in terms of set design or location, and all those things came after the framework had been locked. Yeah. And we said, okay, fine, this is what we are doing. This is the characters we are using. And this is where we think we best fit these characters based on the performance and what the elements we've penciled out for each of the scenes. Yeah. So that's uh, what uh, we did with this. So it didn't have a script, it didn't have any, but it had a good framework. And that framework was what we were able to use to create what we did. Yeah. And uh, we also learned from it, to be honest. And because it was an improvised, more of an improvised performance, uh, editing was where the hard work was because each of these actors, because they didn't have a locked script, yeah. uh, the performance delivery were fluctuating. So you couldn't easily match your takes, you know, if you were going to cut to the other shot, it was a different tone. Yeah. And those are the things I learned in the course of it too as well. And uh, yeah, it, it was completely improvised and it was an, an amazing experience in the course of it. Yeah. So you said also um, you worked with non-actors Yes. Do you think um, because they were non-actors, they weren't too used to, you know, having a script, having to work in that No, no, way? no. Interestingly, I can't even remember his name, but yeah, I think um, when you watch the film, you'll be able to... I think one of the, one of the known actors, Asadin, he was the biggest, one of the biggest stars in TV, was the lead in Blackwood, BBC Blackwood. He was the white guy that played the guy giving her the envelope. Yeah. Funny enough, he was, by the time we put this together, he was actually one of the most excited actors to try this kind of um, project, the way we were designing it then. Yeah. Yeah, because this kind of project were, uh, so, so he was really one of those uh, actors that was really excited about it. Using non-actors was because I really wanted to concentrate on the art of the visual storytelling, and more importantly, the story. Yeah. And um, um, I, I saw that as a project where I didn't need known faces to impose their creativity on it. I mean, this was me slightly thinking from a selfish perspective. Yeah. I wanted the project to be an open project where everyone involved would explore the opportunities and see that as a project that you know, came off out of nothing. And um, hence the reason I went with non-actors. And even when we had the supposedly big actor, that's the guy that played the key role, I've forgotten his name, I'm so sorry, it's been a while. I put him in as a guest actor. I didn't put him as a lead. Yeah. He wasn't a lead in any way. And if you watched it, you almost not recognize them. You would recognize more of the leads we projected. And these people have never, ever acted in their entire lives. So it was after this project that I actually told myself, it dawned on me, I was like, okay, you can do this, Emmanuel. You, you are 
a different breed of storyteller. And you might as well go ye and multiply. <laughs> and that's what actually gave birth to me coming back to Nigeria with that full force of wanting to, you know, explore further. Okay. So what happened when you came back to Nigeria? <laughs> Another episode on his own. <laughs> First of all, coming back to Nigeria was one thing. <laughs> Trying to sell your market in Nigeria. Another thing. So what year was this? This was in 2011. Yeah. So when I came back to Nigeria, of course now, you'll be smelling London, London, London. <laughs> oh, the English was still very fresh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my brother. Two weeks later, the English they reduced, you know. Because <laughs> by the time I drove in Nigerian traffic, <laughs> I realized I wasn't in London. <laughs> I wasn't in the UK. So I had to come down. So, but creatively, at that point, my dad was still finding it very difficult to understand why I was in the UK since 2003 and decides to relocate in 2011 with a career of carrying camera around. And there he is on the other side, proudly telling his colleagues, <laughs> my son just came back from London. Yeah. He has a master's in moving image. And uh, the moving image sounds very good. <laughs> But, you know, when it translates to him discussing about me and they just see me run through the background with camera and they go like, yeah, is that really your son that just came back? And he goes, <laughs> yes, it's him. <laughs> when it happened the first time, second time, he just called me and said, hey, my son, let me just tell you the truth. You can't make money in this thing. This photography you are doing now. And then, funny enough, because when I relocated, I relocated with the intention that if I come into Nigeria, I will repaint the green flag. I will call it pink, white, pink. You know, I was like, I was confident that I was coming to destroy. Man, when I entered here, I got humbled though. Because I, I read film, because I was thinking I'm coming here, shoot my first film. Unfortunately, I was working closely with my very good childhood friend, Chineza Ayane. I think that was the period she finished her film, EJ. Yeah. So we worked very closely, remotely on it. And it was an amazing project. So with that thought process in my mind that we are coming back to change the entire narrative. Oh, that's how I entered here and realized that the demons in Nigeria are pretty different from the demons in the UK. Yeah. yeah, the demons here walk bare naked. The ones in the UK wear suits. So it, that's when it dawned on me. I was like, fine, my brother, <laughs> if you really want to do film here, yeah. first of all, it's capital intensive. Secondly, it's a, it's a, you have to understand the science of engagement with all the stakeholders involved. So actors, set designer, and I wasn't caught up for that. I wasn't interested in trying to pacify anybody. By the way, I've got pedigree, you know? Yeah. Don't come and tell me how it's done. I know how it's done professionally, you know. So when I came up with that approach, I realized that one is not working. No? So when my father told me, see, my son, because my dad is into properties, amazing one. He's an amazing, he's a guru in that. He's been there for over 40 years. And I think with hopes of this firstborn thing, he was hoping I would take over his uh, <laughs> yeah. kingdom. Uh, but here I am running with 5D Mark II <laughs> with 70 to 200. And he didn't understand. So he sat me down and he wanted to understand my thought process. He wanted to know what I was thinking. He wanted to get my projection. Where will I be in the next five years? Mm. At the end of that conversation, he didn't have a clue. 
because at that point, everything I learned in London looked like I had to unlearn it because Nigeria was a different ball game. Yeah. So what he told me was, do you know what? You see that your London book, if you will survive in Nigeria, tear it. Pick up the Nigerian book and start working with it. And that's what gave birth to me when I went into NYSC. I went to the NYSC camp. So I was serving Nigeria, my beloved country. And uh, I think it was at that camp I understood I understood my full potential as an entrepreneur. Because then I think we were over we we're over three thousand um, campites, uh, whether I will call it campites or yeah. three thousand uh, campees. <laughs> Which state did you serve? Yeah, I served in Abuja. I was like I said, I was one of the posh children. Yeah. <laughs> so that means select where I was served. <laughs> However, it's my Nigeria. I wanted to serve Nigeria closest to the villa, <laughs> yeah. so that I can also influence decisions from the presidency. Anyway, that being said, I got into camp, and that was the incident in the camp was what gave birth to Papillon Mexi today. And I'll summarize it. So I got to camp. The first day I did my registration, and then we had this series of photographers that were taking pictures of people camp. You know, everybody were in camp for the first time. They really wanted to take pictures. Yeah. And these people were making a lot of money, a lot of money. And I was like, yeah, hey, where you go there? That's people are really making money from this thing. That's 100, 100 naira. Yeah. I said, Jesus Christ. And then I had equipment. I had invested well over 30,000 pounds in my equipment, well over that. I think everything cumulatively I invested was close to 75,000 pounds. So I had all the flagship cameras. I had all the lenses. I had all the gears. And I'm like, ah, I can make money from here. You know? So I went back. I looked at the whole, so I did a feasibility studies, for lack of a better word. That's big grammar now, they will say it's feasibility. But what I did was I went around every photographer. Yeah. And I made sure I paid 100, 100 naira for them to snap me. So when they finished snapping me, I said, understanding. I, what I was doing was I was evaluating the process. So when you take me a picture, I also time how long it takes for me to get the picture. And cumulatively, I had to wait for an then up to an hour for me to get because they had loads of people now in their stands and all that stuff. And me, I wasn't too into the photography stuff. I knew what I, why I was taking those pictures. Yeah. So they, apart from the whole 16 photographers I went through, there were three photographers that stood out. And those three photographers gave me my picture almost immediately. And I'm like, okay, these are the people that will spawn my market now. Because if these people are taking an average of 30 to 45 minutes to give me a picture, and this guy is giving my picture in less than 10 minutes, then what is he doing? So I went back to him too as well, sat by his side, near his boots. Oh. I didn't even say anything. I just sat there with my dick's man. And I was listening to music, looking at how he was engaging with them. So when I went around, by the time I went around, and I realized that what he had and why he had more people on his own side was strategic positioning and turnover time. And I said strategic position, turnover time. And I knew it was going to be difficult for me who has pedigree. These people don't have pedigree. For me, who has pedigree? Who is a certified filmmaker? Two degrees. Yeah. 
from London Film Academy and the uh, University of South Wales to come down and start dragging 100 naira with this guy. I said, okay, fine, how am I going to sell myself? Distinctively, again, strategically position myself as that sought-after photographer. Yeah. So I came up with a strategy. And what was the strategy? I said, in this camp, I want to be known as the only photographer that is a youth copper. And I had only three weeks to make that decision. Yeah. And that, you know, I had only three weeks to achieve that decision because it was only three weeks camp. Right. So what did I do? I went back. I got my uniform. And I knew those other competition had the normal camera. So it was kit cameras they were taking. They were using to take those pictures. Yeah. But here I have the 70 to 200, the long lens. So I was this copper. I was known to be this copper at the end of three weeks. The only copper that had the self. And the 70 to 200 also matched the khaki color. Yeah. So I was like a military boss. You understand in that field, but something interesting happened when I introduced myself the first week or the first two days as that copper that could take your picture. Then it was Blackberry. Mm. So what was happening was if I take your picture, I'll quickly edit it, send it to my phone, and send it to you, and you can easily as soft copies now, and you can easily change your DP yeah. on your Blackberry. Now that was the new strategy. Because what the other photographers were giving were hard copies. Mm -hmm. And people couldn't just snap and put on their DP. But guess what? Instead of charging 100 Naira, I charged 500 Naira. But that 500 Naira was with speedy uh, uh, delivery, turnover mm -hmm. time, strategic positioning. And my unique selling point was, I am the only photographer that can give you that soft copy that you can put and change your DP almost immediately. And that's what people really wanted. Yeah. So I didn't know these photographers were already angry. So they connived and they, <laughs> when I say they, they played with me small, because I won't say beat me, yeah. but uh, they, they kind of um, sent their message <laughs> uh, by collectively laying their hands on me politely. But you know, when 100 people lay hands on you politely, it becomes painful. Uh. Yes, and so they quickly addressed me. And I said, okay, fine, I'm very sorry, we can't do this. Um, but it's sort of me, because I don't want to take you people's market, all right? You both should charge what you want to charge. Instead of me charging that 500, because I want to discourage people, I will charge one five. They said, oh, fine, fine, fine. And me, I saw that as a solution to solve that market. As in, I didn't want to be involved in all these uh, fights and stuff. Yeah. I was like, let me just, with that one five, at least I know I'm taking some few pictures and I'm good. Uh. My brother, long story cut short. When I increased my price to one five, I found out I had, because I had done this for a week already, yeah. I found out that I had twice the amount of crowd demanding my service at one five as opposed to 500. And I'm like, okay, fine, I can't even escape from this thing. It seems they'll beat me the second time. Yeah. So what I did was I just quickly made friends with the soldiers. And did them a portrait and all them stuff, yeah. And long story cut short, at the end of my three weeks in camp, I made well over 100K. Well over 100K, if I must be, because I knew I was a little bit extravagant in camp too as well. But yeah. I made a lot of money. But I realized even when I shifted my price by 1,000%, so it was more than double, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I had more markets there. And I now realized, okay, fine, you could sell anything in Nigeria. 
but it's all about your strategic positioning, your turnover time, and what is your unique selling point in relation to your competition. Yeah. So that's what gave back to Papillon Mexi. Now, initially, for people who knew me, they knew me as a photographer. But again, I think it's a, it's a thing of the my ego then. I was like, I'm not a photographer. I'm a little more than that. Yeah. I'm actually a filmmaker. And so not, I see myself not now. Not a videographer. Not a video, not even cameraman. So I saw myself attempting to convince the people that have been snapping photo that I am more than this. So you people should please patronize me. I do videos. Yeah. And you know, and this was what my dad now still seeing as my struggles. Because we were like, okay, fine, she did video. Now you're doing photo. You're not even focused. So you did video all the way in London and now you're in Nigeria and you're now downgrading to photo. Yeah. You know, so parents when my parents experienced my dad wasn't seeing it from that perspective. But guess what? I learned a lot through that thought process. Because it was when I was able to assimilate his thought process. I was like, okay, fine. How do I refine this? And that's what gave birth to me working on my first project ever as a filmmaker in Nigeria. My first project was my documentary with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Okay. And how I got that job was a different ballgame. I know I don't want to even take much of your time, but if it's fine, we can't do it. Yeah, she goes. So yeah. how I got the job was again through photography. So I took a picture of Jabi Lake Mall. And when I took a picture of that Jabi Lake Mall, I did a long exposure of picture of it. So I caught it at the magic hour. Yeah. And that was my DP on my Blackberry for a long time. And I had my very good friend there. We were childhood friends, but we, we went to school together, nursery school and primary school. And we were very, very serious enemies in school because every break we used to fight. This girl, her name is Mariam, yeah. very good friend of mine. We always fought every day in school. So fortunately, I think we met up, we caught up, and we became friends on my Blackberry. So when I put up my DP, I think she took the picture and placed it on her DP. And luckily then, she, and I think she still works there, she used to work with the, uh, with the biotechnology of Nigeria. So when she put it up, I think her boss saw the picture. And I was like, where is this? She now contacted me. She was like, where is this place? I said, it's Jabi. So I didn't know she was communicating with her boss. Yeah. So long story cut short, the boss now asked her to call me. And by the time she called me, and she was like, um, uh, your name, you've been shortlisted to go to US. I was like, hey, see, don't start with that fraud step. I'm too smart. I just came back from London. Yeah. So I know how they play this game. Don't even start it. Yeah. But lo and behold, she was really adamant. I, I didn't pay attention to them until they sent a representatives to my office. And they came with the official letter that you've been officially selected to be one of the team to follow the, you know, one of the team members going to the U.S. to do a familiarization tour on the biotechnology centers across the U.S. And I'm like, and I've never been to America in my entire life. Okay. In fact, I've been, my visa has been rejected once. And since then, I didn't even bother. Like I said, I was yeah. eager to come back to Nigeria than even stay that side. So when they said it, <clears throat> I kept quiet. I got the letter. It was, I saw the official seal of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I was like, wow. That's when I presented it to my dad. I was like, Dad, say what you gotta say. Tell me something about this. Yeah. You're more experienced now, you see? From photography, and I now have an official letter from the US Department of Agriculture. He said, What's that supposed to mean? I said, I leave in six days. <laughs> and my dad looked at me, I was like, You live in six days. 
You were like, okay, congratulations. And then it still didn't dawn on me. It wasn't clear to me yeah. until I was called for briefing at the embassy. Right. It was when I got to the embassy and I got the briefing from, I think, over 30 embassies across the world giving me briefings or giving my team briefings on what they expect of us when we travel and what this thing is about. And that's when it dawned on me. I was like, damn, I'm actually leaving Nigeria again for another international documentary. That's some serious sense of that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. So that's when my dad didn't even clear until I called him with American number. Because <laughs> when I was going, he just said, this boy is a, is a riffraff. Leave him. He will still come back. Until I called him with American number. And I was there for like three weeks. And with my, myself and Bob Manuel. That was the first time I was working with him. Yeah. And uh, I think by the time I got back, that was when I was like, damn, this just happened through photography. And it wasn't even a high-risk picture. It was from a DP. And this was what exposed me to me traveling to the supposed America that people are killing themselves for. Not for fun or leisure, mm. but to work. And I've not been to America since then. So it's, um, it, it was like an eye-opener that once you think it and believe in it yeah. and you speak it out, the world will align to achieve what you are designed to achieve for yourself. But when you are confused and you are speaking different things, the world too will align and give you different things like a confused things. You will not know. Yeah. I also believe in the school of, with the school of thought that uh, opportunity comes but once. But I like to also think this opportunity comes every time. It's about the person. Are you actually ever ready to see those opportunities? They don't come once. It's only because the person who sees it once picks it. Yeah. Yeah. And when you pick it, you almost don't have it again. Because again, like I said, and I always believe, first mover's advantage. Yeah. And once the person executes it first, then you become the copy. So that, I mean, that simply put, that's been my journey so far when I relocated to Nigeria. And um, after that, you know, that gave birth to um, Wedding Doctors, um, which is an exclusive platform for weddings. Yeah. Then, so um, um, yeah. with Wedding Doctors, like, what do you do? So Wedding Doctors, um, Wedding Doctors was deliberately designed to, to document stories initially document yeah document stories not even that's what it is now yeah to document stories um and um, a hub it was it was primarily designed to be a hub where vendors and clients can coexist and um, you know get solutions for any of the problems or inquiries so be it photography wedding dresses and stuff so that's what wedding doctors is designed to be but when i started wedding doctors I needed the funds to align my set objectives, so to convince the Nigerian public. So what I did was I just picked an arm of that, which is videography. Yeah. And I felt that was the only way I could lure people into seeing the bigger picture of what The Wedding Doctors was about. So I did a lot of very um, good videos, um, wedding videos and um, cinematic videos too as well. Um, and in the course of it, I realized that I had a signature. I wasn't more of a cinematic wedding filmmaker. I was more of 
a storyteller. So I was into the documentary style of storytelling, especially when it comes to weddings. Yeah. So I, I felt for me that was going to be more valuable to any client or a potential new wed that will appreciate their journey so far, as opposed to just concentrating on the wedding day itself. Yeah, and that's, that has actually evolved with time. So with our visuals, our visuals was strong enough to provoke people to start talking about the brand. Yeah. Um, however, in that beginning phase, there are a couple of things I didn't know. There are a couple of uh, challenges I had that I would, now that I am here now, I would have, thinking about it, I would have approached it differently. So there were many things I learned. There were many clients that I stepped on toes. And that's because, again, I was learning on it. I wasn't, I wasn't giving up on it in any way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't approach most of them um, rightly or professionally as it should be. But um, I'm actually very glad I came across them and I would never trade that for anything. So I, like I said, we keep making mistakes and uh, we keep learning on it every day. And Wedding Doctors is one of my baby projects now that um, experienced all this too as well. And it's still experiencing, but guess what? We're moving higher. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, um, I mean, you do wedding documentaries, you do something called the Vendors Camp. Oh, yes. So, um, yes. So, I will explain what the Wedding Doctors is now. So, like I said, the Wedding Doctors, simply put, is, an, is a hub. Yeah. More like an ecosystem where I said the clients, potential newlyweds and vendors can coexist. So when I looked into the wedding scene, I think this happened a um, couple of years ago, I realized that there was a lot we as vendors weren't seeing as a then. I think we were so caught up in the whole celebration of weddings and we actually forgot the ripple effect of our services to our clients. Yeah. So by ripple effect, I mean, we didn't understand what it, it was going to take. Or is it take? No, we didn't understand where our services are cut short abruptly. So we will look at ourselves selling our wedding services to our clients and all that stuff, but we forget the ripple effect of our services. Most of them are not returning clients. Yeah. Then another thing that primarily influenced my decision to create this path was I realized that there were too many, and there is still a lot of content online to help you make a decision on what you want to do. So you could sit at the comfort of your home and just plan your wedding because there's a lot of content around weddings. You want to get the wedding dresses, there are too many vendors you can Google. And I'm like, oh wow, this is fantastic. We've really grown. The wedding industry in Nigeria has really grown to be that solution that you can sit in the comfort of your home, your office, your house, your friends, and just plan your wedding. But I also realized that there's a very huge loophole. And what's that loophole? There isn't enough content online, that same digital media space, yeah. to help sustain your marriage when the troubles come. Just as much as you have enough content online to help you plan your wedding, I still feel you need that same amount of content online to help you keep your marriage. But that is where we are all slacking. Yeah. 
So most of the vendors I come across, I also try to tell them, I'm, you know, whatever you are doing for your client, you, you should kind of make it a little bit future-proof, whereby they don't only come back once, they should be coming back often. And to be honest, this decision was what gave birth to our new structure now, the wedding doctor structure. So under the wedding doctor structure now, we have 13 segments of the wedding doctor, as opposed to the wedding videographer, cameraman, yeah. and all that stuff. So now, we realize that first things first, as clients, you know you want to plan your wedding. Yeah. Where do you go to first? The digital media space. But when you go to that digital media space, who are you looking for? You are looking for vendors. And when you find these vendors, you contact them, right? And when you contact them, you request for a rate card. And when you give you your rate card, that's where Wahala starts. You are too expensive. Ha, how can I pay this amount? What is this? Oh my, can't you give me special discount? You know I'm doing weddings like it's five days yeah. and stuff. And I mean, it's fine for you to have your good negotiating power. But again, I felt the vendors were taken for granted. These are people that are top professionals in their field, trying to render exceptional service to you. Yeah. On what grounds do you want them to give you a discount at the first point of call? As in our first project together, you want a discount. And you still would not know what I'm compromising on. So I felt the, the vendors, especially the vendors in the wedding industry, needed a platform where we needed to start reorientating our audience, the clients, the potential clients, the potential newlyweds, yeah. on our production processes. And that's what gave back to the vendors come. So the vendors come simply put is supposed to be that segment where every vendor has the opportunity to, like they say in Nigeria, sell their markets. I believe the reason clients or potential clients, which I don't blame them at all, try to negotiate us beyond our value, it's because they do not even in any way understand our production process. Yeah. And we've not informed them about that. We've not told them the ripple effect of some decisions we take that affect the production timeline, which, to be honest, I've been a victim for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and, and they always think it's something you could do or you can pick out of the shelf and just execute and deliver. And for me, I think the wedding industry can be a little bit more healthier if the clients understand the value of what they are getting. Yeah, not just the final deliverables. But if the vendors can take a step back and reevaluate their processes and look for the best way to bring it to life and showcase this to their target audience, I don't see any reason why a client will want to negotiate you beyond or below your value. Yeah. And um, that's what the wedding doctors is set to achieve solely to reorientate the target audience, the clients, on the values of why these vendors charge what they charge. Yeah, so, so that's the solution we created for them. Then we also have um, um, other segments. We have um, Wedding 101. Yeah. And Wedding 101, again, are for couples who are looking for the new gist, uh, the wedding dresses and all them stuff. Um, what to do, how to go about it around weddings. Hence the, the name, Wedding 101. 
with the wedding 101, you have a complete view. And sometimes it's a discussion segment where we discuss our issues and discuss challenges people have, especially the potential newlyweds have while trying to select the right vendors um, and uh, services, ETC. Yeah. yeah, and that's what the wedding 101 is about. Then we have beyond the veil. The beyond the veil, Initially, okay, before the Beyond the Veil, I'm going to talk about the Becoming series. Yeah. So the Becoming series was, is like a complete upgrade of wedding storytelling. So what we did was, uh, we looked at the competition, we looked at the entire market, especially when it comes to videography. We realized that many of us, my colleagues, amazing one at that, if I may say, many of us who are doing exceptionally well, are actually concentrating more on the event day as opposed to giving the clients the full experience yeah. of their wedding story. And uh, that's what gave birth to the Becoming series. So with the Becoming series, you have the opportunity of having up to 30 hours coverage time spread across four days. Now, this, give you, this gives you a complete coverage scope of what your wedding story is about. Yeah. Yeah, so from your proposal if need be, your uh, bridal shower, your fitting session, your vendors meeting, your bachelor's eve, your weddings, uh, traditional and white. Then we also have the post-wedding events, which could be your task given. Then um, I think now we have a new package for couples where if any couples book, any couple book that um, package, the becoming package, they're entitled to a 25% discount voucher for the first five years. Yeah. yeah, and that that discount voucher is meant to cater for any event you have um, w within the first five years after your wedding. That was my own little way of contributing my little quota to sustaining that marriage or whatever marriage we get we get to document on that. But the becoming series, um, in summary, it's supposed to give you an in-depth coverage yeah. of your journey to getting married, hence the reason it's becoming serious. So you could be Mr. Seller, right? So it could be, your episode could be tagged Becoming the Sellers or Becoming the Okolos. Yeah. And that Becoming the Okolos is your wedding series. Let's say our own way of giving your own mini reality series on the Wedding Doctors platform, as opposed to a one-off event. Yeah. And um, as, as as tedious and cumbersome as it might sound, it's relatively cheaper because it's not... Uh, uh, people that know that the wedding doctors is known for... that we are really expensive and all them stuff, again, it's because they do not understand our production process. They don't even know that I spend a minimum of $308 on one soundtrack. Yeah. And $308 is what a client will probably want to pay for five weddings. And um, that's not what I am. I'm not, I'm, I'm a storyteller. I'm not a hobbyist. Yeah. And I'll always take that process. And just like film, film takes time to create. Yeah. So I, it's not like a hobby where you come out and you just want to impress. Uh, yeah, that's what has given birth to that particular segment. So we also have Beyond the Veil. Now, Beyond the Veil is the segment that follows up with the Becoming series. Now, after the Becoming series, the next chapter after you get married is clocked into the Beyond the Veils segment. So your bachelor, I mean, your, your baby shower, your uh, one-year anniversaries, your 
wife or your spouse's birthday, yeah. all those content fall into the category of Beyond the Veil. Yeah, so if you wanted us to, and especially if we're, if you are our couple, our original couple, we know how we can create an exclusive structure on the segments you'll be featured in in the next five years, yeah. Yeah, as opposed to a one-off um, production. So we have that and many more too as well. And we just launched our first ever uh, uh, show called Back to the Roots. Yeah. And this Back to the Roots, like I earlier said last year, was as a result of um, popular demand, trying to address the moral status of Nigeria and the belief systems in our youths, um, conscious, as, conscious as well of, the, of where we are going to and knowing too well about um, the realities we are faced with, especially in marriages. I thought we'd come up with this show where we address things by going back to the root of the problem. Yeah. So on Back to the Roots, we are going to be talking about everything we know now but from a perspective of what we never knew about what we know now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, everything we know now, but by going back to the roots to discuss about things we never knew about what we know now. Yeah. So, ha, wow, that feels good. <laughs> I feel like a rapper. That is cheesy. You know, this is how it starts. Wow. So, um, is there somewhere you kind of aggregate everything like that you do under the wedding doctors? Is there somewhere people can like watch the content? Oh yes, um, for now, um, so what we did was, um, because I was very meticulous about building this um, platform, like I said, I'm a creative. Uh, I, I, I deliberately, for the past one year, wanted to test the market. I'm, and I'm still testing the market. Yeah. And uh, when we did that, uh, it's the feedback we get from that that we've been using to structure. Um, get it a little better than what uh, is out there. So for now, most of the contents you will see online are also on our YouTube channel. So the Wedding Doctors, that's our YouTube channel. Um, you won't see a lot of them. I think we have more than 61 episodes yeah. of different segments. But that, that is to give you an idea of the visual structure and the contents we are creating for this. We are presently putting things together and uh, we have very big top players in the media um, um, space that have indicated interest with our content. And that's why we took a break. Yeah. And uh, we said, okay, fine, we won't be releasing too much of those contents because we have these big players who are knocking themselves out on seeing how they can get this content, yeah. knowing too well that these contents are pretty originals of the wedding doctors. So, so yeah, they'll be seeing a lot of, 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 of our content coming up soon amazing content coming up soon okay yeah. can't wait for it mm -hmm. so um yeah let's get a bit philosophical i'm going back to lfa mm. something that tried to emphasize was the need for collaboration mm. what are your thoughts on that i've always been preaching this for the past two years i figured out that was the only problem we had in nigeria everyone seems to be kings in their own empire which is fine but I figured out after the recent realities of the COVID-19, yeah. I think it, it, it became clearer to every team player that we have literally been competing amongst ourselves. And hence the reason we can't compete on the world stage. So, and like I said, that's what the wedding doctors were designed to be. A hub where clients and vendors can coexist. 
And by coexisting, you you are collaborating yeah. in, in projects. Clients shouldn't be able to, after booking me as a videographer, they are now going outside that system to look for another videographer to brand their company. They should be able to come back to that platform and say, okay, fine. Do you guys do videos for companies? They should be able to find solutions within that platform yeah. to aid that. And because we've established that system where all vendors can work together, it will be easier and to an extent, even cheaper for them to get their works done. So I've been a very, very, very serious advocate for collaboration over competition. Um, there was no, there's no need competing with me. And I know they always say your biggest competition is yourself, but I still think that the biggest problem we have in Nigeria and Africa as a whole is we do not have the spirit of collaboration. And hence the reason we always see our uh, associates yeah. as threats. I don't see the reason why I'll be threatened by you, knowing too well that you exhibit some kind of exclusive, you have your exclusive signatures. Yeah. Yeah, they are, they are amazing key people that do what I do, that I respect, that I know I can never do what they can do. And it's not because I cannot do it if I put my head to it. It's just to an extent, these people put in a, a lot of work to come up with this signature. Yeah. Um, and I need this company, or I rather need this industry, from my own perspective, to be healthy. So, so I want to be able to collaborate with multiple people because of their signatures, not because I know your father or you know my mother. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's my own ideology. And I, and I think that's what we got from the London Film Academy. They taught us more about collaborations over competition. And uh, when I came back to Nigeria to apply that, you know what, go? You know what? So I had to start hustling on my own. But even in the midst of hustling, I started creating this exclusive segments funding them on my own yeah. and just to at least spread the news as much as I can that we could do a little more than that competing amongst ourselves. We should be able to come up with collaborative effort. And that's what gave birth to my first series, um, Beyond the Veil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that first series, Beyond the Veil, was fully collaboration. And I was deliberate about the people I wanted to use. Deliberate in the sense that I didn't want to use film experts. I didn't want to use film technical uh, experts. I wanted, because I was in the wedding scene, yeah. it was literally 100% wedding vendors that came together to create the first ever web series. Yeah. So when you look at them, they don't have pedigrees from film. The set designer we used was a wedding decorator. Well, I'm a filmmaker, yes, but I'm literally in the wedding scene. So... I was the director. Yeah. You get the actors, well, are actors. Yeah, but every other technical elements we had in it were, were wedding vendors. And I'm like, if we could do this collaboratively and this has actually gone out there, we could do more. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you have plans on like um, making like a narrative project to film documentary? Yeah, yeah, I, I have plans this year. So um, this year we have works going on already. Uh, we've come. I think we are the third phase of um, three of our projects. Yeah. Uh, so we are hopeful to. We are hoping to 
come up with three series this year, okay. three standalone series, and uh, three movies okay. this year. So yeah, I'm working on a couple of, and we've been working for the past year. So I think this year is our year. It's, well, I won't say our year. It's, it's the year to put Abuja on the map. Yeah. For lack of better word. Because um, no disrespect to Lagos, I, I feel Lagos is saturated. And uh, when you mention creatives, I think there are fantastic creatives in Abuja. Definitely. But the problem we've had is we've been competing amongst ourselves. We've not been collaborating. And I think it's about time we keep our differences and just collectively say, guy, let's achieve one thing. Yeah. Let's put Abuja on the map. Every other thing should follow afterwards. But let's collaborate and put Abuja on the map. For once, let's just take away the financial benefits and just come up with something. Yeah. And not until we are able to do that, we will still be competing amongst ourselves. We will still be scrabbling for the wedding videos when we know we could create wedding films and reality series. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, you, you have um, film running through your veins and you love Nigeria. Mm. So what do you think um, needs to improve with the Nigerian film industry for us to, you know, transcend where we currently are? Hmm. I've always said this. We are all liars. I'll explain. I think the day we decide to be truthful with ourselves, that's again after evaluating ourselves and the, the film sector, yeah. we will scale through. In my own opinion, in my own honest opinion, and I might be wrong, it's my own opinion, it doesn't matter. I still haven't seen any good actor from Nigeria. I still haven't seen any fantastic actor from Nigeria. And my decision is largely influenced from where I see Nigerians and Nigerian actors. And that is the global stage. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm looking at the global stage now, I don't see that Nigerian representative in the acting field, for example. And that is largely influenced by the quality of what we know around film. Yeah, because I still think in this same Nigeria, they are amazing, amazing actors. Oh my God, you don't even have a clue. Yeah. Amazing actors. But how did these mediocres get to where they got to? I mean, you have all these new actors and actresses coming up and saying they are good, and all of a sudden they have 1.5 million followers. Uh-huh. And I'm like, simply put, have you shot on film? Because as simple as shooting on film, if you have shot on film, you would at least understand the world language when I say you are no actor yet. Because you are just doing digital. Because by the time you shoot on film, I know that the focus puller needs a certain de- de- distance from you. And you can't be walking around and delivering your lines. Mm then you would know that this is serious business. I still think most of the actors that are supposedly good now are hobbyists and opportunists. We are not truthfully actors as we should be. And most of us are not willing to learn. We just think we have arrived. Yeah. And they think they can still call the shot for a director 
who is supposed to direct the same. So there is a lot that I think can change in the Nigerian sector, film sector. One of which is for the directors, you must decide which side of the table you are on. Are you a financially driven director or an impact driven director? Yeah. Whatever side you take will influence any other decision you take afterwards. If you're an impact driven director, then I think you should be yielding towards breathing new faces changing the narrative but if you're financially driven then you can damn the consequences and forget the whole global film language we don't need it mm. just need to make your money from a labor market and you get out but guess what the new breeds of filmmakers especially the people even after us are getting smarter so you would you will fade off you will fade off if you are actually financially driven i'm not saying you shouldn't make money yeah. i'm just saying if you're Primary objective in the wedding, I mean, in the film and Nigerian film industry is to make money off your audience without leaving an impact for them or, you know, giving them an extra knowledge of what they never knew before. Yeah. Then you're in the long term because you have a lot of us now that are willing to create impact driven pieces uh, which will knock you off in due time and um, I think once we are able to do that once you're able to decide which table you're on yeah. or which side you're on on that table then I think the problem of Nigeria will be solved really especially if you're tilted towards creating impact not making money off the system yeah as far as I'm concerned the system is flawed very flawed yeah yeah so um, yeah how can people keep up with your work yeah, so keeping up media, with my work, yes, yeah, social media. So you, if you want to keep up with my work for weddings um, and other shows, I think Wedding Doctors now has more segments that can accommodate a lot. Uh, so there's going to be a lot shown on the Wedding Doctors platform. So it's at the underscore wedding underscore doctors. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and then we'll follow you home <laughs> on your screens. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, then um, um, my personal page, Papillon Mexi, that's um, P-A-P-I-L-O-N. M-E-X-Y. Then we also have our baby company called Entrance Motion Pictures. So Entrance Motion Pictures is less than, I think less than two, two years old. Yeah. yeah. Less than three years old. Yeah. And um, yeah, anything we put on this platform, you will see there if they worked on it. So, so, so. yeah, that's the only way you can keep up with us. Then our YouTube too as well, The Wedding Doctors channel, that's what it is. So The Wedding Doctors, that's what it's called. Our YouTube channel is called The Wedding Doctors and you can log on, subscribe, and you can see a lot of our upcoming jobs. In fact, I say this with all sense of humility and honesty and confidence. Yeah. You'll be blown away with the next series of projects we're coming up with. As in, it's literally well taught thought through and I'm glad with the partners we have on board for this one. Yeah. I'm also open for partnership. Okay, so, so of course Monino Hokima, you know Kima and knowing me too well. Yeah. <laughs> I need money. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, thanks Emmanuel for coming on the podcast. You're very much welcome, my brother. We have come to the end of this episode. Please remember to leave a rating and a review. 
Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Senegal Film and the podcast also on Instagram and Twitter at the Nigerian Film Pod. See you on the next episode. Have a good one.